Well, good morning. Are you pumped up? I'm pumped up. I didn't even get to watch it just now. I just listened to it, and I was getting pumped up. And I was pumped up in worship. I've been doing cleanup duty all morning. You know, I finally get everything mopped back up, and then something else happens that brings tears to my eyes. And I thought I was done, and then Kim prayed, and I was just right back there. So praise the Lord. It is good to be in the house of the Lord with you today. I want to check in with you on something. When I was here two weeks ago, I shared about New Year's resolutions and even some little practical life hacks and ways to establish good habits and maybe break some bad habits. How are you doing on your New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Psychologists tell us that the average New Year's resolution lasts between two and three weeks. We're two weeks in. How are you doing? If you're holding strong, you got like one more week and then you've established a new habit or you've broken a bad habit and that's encouraging. But here's the really encouraging news. If you are already a statistic and all your New Year's resolutions are, oh yeah, I was going to do that. You can start again today. You can have a January 15th resolution. It doesn't just have to be on New Year's Day. I'm happy to report and I'm even going to invite a little bit of accountability. So that's one way, that's one life hack for a New Year's resolution is you tell people what your New Year's resolution is and you invite them to check in with you and then you don't want to, you know, have to tell me I failed. So here are my big three this year. Uh, The first one is to write scripture every day. 365 days, I want to write at least one verse of scripture. Now, the Banding Together Journal is a tremendous tool for that, but even in the past, I've skipped a day or two every now and then. I want, even if I just have two minutes, I want to write down at least one verse of scripture because I engage with scripture differently when I write it than when I read it. So I want to encourage you, if you're looking for one, that's a good one. The other one is to quit speeding. I know, I'm sure you're shocked that I would ever speed or break a law. But I've been known to in the past. In fact, in 2022, there were a few trips across town that I didn't speed. (laughs) And it was just because somebody slow was in front of me and I was wrecked by the time I got where I was going. So I felt like the Lord laid it on my heart. It's like, you know what? This is bigger than speeding. This is about just resisting or rebelling. I know that that dreaded R word, rebelling. It's like, you know what? I don't want to speed anymore. So that's one of mine, and you can check in with me in the lobby. You can ask me. You can even send me an email at I don't give a rip at Limitchurch. No, no, I'm just joking. (laughs) Mark M A R C at Limitchurch. You can check in with me, and uh, then the last one is to get a lot less sugar, a lot less sugar. Uh, For me, that's going to start at 100 grams a day or less. I'm going to track everything and have a lot less sugar. Now you might be saying, man, 100 grams is a lot of sugar. Well, 200 is more, and I had a lot of 200 days last year. So that is, uh, that is just an open door for you to uh, check in with me on occasion on one or all three of those things. Uh, we're starting a new series today, kind of. I'll get to that in a minute. We're kind of starting a new series. And you're like, well, Pastor Mark, you're always excited about new series. What do you mean kind of starting a new series? Well, it'll make, it'll make sense in a minute. The this, this series that we're starting today is titled Kingdom First. Kingdom First. Wanting to put the kingdom of God first in our lives. Jesus said right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, his greatest collection of teachings, which he probably delivered when he went all over Judea and Galilee, wherever he was, when he had an opportunity to preach, I believe he preached some or all of the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't think it was just three chapters. I think he could spend days teaching on these subjects. And he said right in the middle of that, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness or his righteousness and all this other stuff I've been talking about, your clothes, your food, your water, the things that you need, all of that will be added to you as well. Put first things first. 
So how do we do that? What is the kingdom of God? Who is the king? What's he like? Who are the subjects in the kingdom of God? And what are they like? These are some of the questions that we're going to be trying to answer this year. Yes, it will be an annual theme of the kingdom of God, approaching the idea or the topic of the kingdom of God from a number of different angles because it intersects every aspect of our life that really matters, the kingdom of God. We're meant to be residents of the kingdom of God. Jesus came to inaugurate a kingdom, a new order of authority. And so this will be an annual theme. And I felt very affirmed over the last couple of weeks in that idea of the kingdom of God. I, I can't even go into, it would take too long to tell you everything that happened with that January 1st message. But I was going in a totally different track. And then I got radically rerouted, and that song that we closed with on January 1st, to speak the name of Jesus, became the impetus for the message that I preached on January 1st, which several people have told me, that's got to be one of your best. If you missed it, you should go back and watch it, not because it's one of my best, but because God wants to bring power into your life, to break the strongholds that are in your life, and to empower you to bear fruit for his kingdom. And so I started a couple of weeks ago with that message, kingdom power for a new year. And we looked at Acts chapter four. And then last week we had a guest speaker. I'd had that guest speaker on the docket for about four months. I had told him you can preach on anything you want to preach on because I had pretty good confidence in his ability to bring a message and I didn't want to pigeonhole him or stop what the Spirit might be wanting to do. If I had assigned a passage, I guarantee you it wouldn't have been what's my gift to the kingdom four months ago. And then he sends me his sermon title that week. He had not seen what I was preaching on on the first and it's what's my gift to the kingdom. It's like, okay, God is doing something here. This is pretty cool. This is really special. And so I want to thank Aaron Myers for listening to the Spirit and for bringing that message. If you missed that, it is a message worth watching. And if you need to listen to it again, I would encourage you to go back to that. But today, we're starting this new series titled Kingdom First, and we're kind of going back to the basics and, and trying to build a foundation as we begin this year, as we begin this annual theme of the kingdom of God. We're going to be laying a foundation of the foundational understandings that we need to have. You see, right after Jesus talked about seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness in Matthew chapter 6, he goes into Matthew chapter 7 and he talks about building our lives on the rock. And so that song that we just sang, Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, it couldn't have been more perfect. That we are building our lives on the rock the rock, on the rock of Jesus, on his word, on his teachings. And this means a lot to us here at Linwood because one of our core values is to center our lives on the word, to center our lives on the word, not to just kind of pass through it every now and then or get close to it every now and then, but to center our lives on the word by consistently preaching, teaching, and applying his word to our lives so that we can be more like Jesus. And so today we're going to start with a message titled Repentance and Faith. These are foundational understandings to the Christian life that that, that repentance and faith in God are absolutely essential. And our guide for today and really for this first series is going to be Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 through 3. So if you want to turn there, that's going to be our central passage today. If you have one of our pew Bibles, they're in the seats in front of you. It's page 1867, way towards the back, and then just come back a few books, and that'll get you into Hebrews. And we'll be in Hebrews chapter 6. 
And it's interesting, in the context of Hebrews chapter 6, he's been teaching about, and it's a lengthy passage of, of teachings on Jesus as the high priest. That Jesus is this better high priest, better than any high priest that had been before him. Jesus establishes a new high priesthood, and he invites us to be a part of it. But he kind of interrupts this little teaching, or this lengthy teaching, I should say, on Jesus as the high priest to kind of scold his listeners or his readers a little bit. And so I'm not going to scold you today, but that's sort of the context because it's really a warning against falling away. The author of the book of Hebrews does not want the people that are listening or hearing this letter read out loud to fall away, to stall out in their faith, to plateau in their faith. And so he breaks this lengthy teaching to chide them a little bit and to encourage them and to maybe even bring a dose of conviction. So in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, we read these words, therefore, and we'll get to what the therefore is therefore in just a minute, but therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. That would be sort of a core central theme idea for us in this series, that God permitting, we will all collectively move beyond the elementary teachings, the foundational teachings, and go on to maturity. So in this, we see three pairs. In verses 1 and 2, there are three pairs of elementary teachings or basic foundational teachings. The first one is repentance and faith. That's what we're going to be talking about today, repentance and faith. That's the first pairing. It's how we enter the kingdom of God. We enter the kingdom of God by repenting from the old ways and by faith in God, faith in Jesus, faith in his ways. It's foundational to salvation in Christ. We have to repent and we have to believe. Belief, faith, trust, these are synonymous, especially in the original language. And so when we talk about repentance and faith today, we'll see that first pairing of elementary teachings that the writer of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews 6.1. Now in verse 2, we see the other two pairings. The second one is on baptism, and he says laying on of hands. Scholars kind of tend to point that that's to the commissioning that we become baptized, which is a public profession of our faith, and we be commissioned. We would be commissioned to serve God, to go out and serve Him. And then the second pairing is resurrection and the judgment, the final judgment. Resurrection of the dead and final judgment. So we've got good news, like three weeks in a row. And then the fourth week, we're going to kind of put all this together and see it as a launch pad for where we're going for the rest of the year. We'll tackle each of those pairings over the next couple weeks. And I want to give you a heads up. There is going to be a baptism class. If you're getting our digital bulletin, uh, you probably saw this, but there's a baptism class next Sunday after church. And so you might get to hear a message on baptism and want to respond by learning more about baptism, maybe even committing to be baptized. I look out over the room, I see some people that have even indicated this in the past and the timing just hasn't worked out or whatever. So I would really strongly encourage you, if you can be at the baptism class next Sunday after the 1030 service down in room 114, we'll cover all the basics, cover all the questions, help you understand if you have children who have not been baptized but are asking those types of questions or you think that might be on their radar, then they would be welcome to attend. Just bring them along. Or if there's youth uh, in your life that, that 
has made a personal profession of faith but hasn't made that public, then baptism might be something for them. And so, and then verse 3, I mentioned this earlier, but we're wanting to, in verse 3, it says, God permitting, we will do so. What we will do, God permitting, is move on from these elementary teachings and really bear fruit for God's kingdom. Move on, as we'll see, and not stall out, not fall away. See this, if you have a New International Version, there's, there's a section heading called a warning against falling away. Maybe if you have an ESV or one of the older translations, it might say a warning against apostasy. Apostasy is to deny your faith or to fall away. And so this teaching that we're focusing on today is right in the middle of, a, of, a, of an interjection that the author of Hebrews is making because he does not want us to fall away. He does not want us to stall out. He understands the danger of spiritual plateaus, of growing for a, a season and then just leveling off. And I find that that plateau gets smaller and smaller and smaller the longer we sit on it, and we're closer and closer and closer to the slippery slope that takes us away, that causes us to fall away. And it reminded me of a C.S. Lewis quote, one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. It comes from Mere Christianity, which is probably his most influential work of kind of breaking down the nuts and bolts of the Christian faith and what it means and how we follow Jesus. And he says in that book, he says, it may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. You're thinking, yeah, okay. It would be a jolly sight harder, which is an English or British way of saying a good deal harder, for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg, right? We are like eggs at present, and you cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary, decent egg. We must be hatched or go bad. We must progress. We must move on to maturity, as the author of Hebrews is saying. We must be hatched or go bad. We must become a bird. Because what can birds do? Make more eggs that make more birds, right? That as we mature, if we say, I, I am not content to just sit in the fridge and be an egg. I want to grow. I want to become a bird. And it struck me that, you know, a couple of years ago during COVID, I was staring out the window all the time, and I started to notice the birds in my neighborhood, and I started to feed the birds in my neighborhood, and then I had more birds to notice and more birds to feed, and now I, all of a sudden I had five bird feeders, and I had a life list going of birds, and I got to go to Florida a couple weeks ago, and I got to add seven new birds to my life list, and some of you are rolling your eyes. But here's my point. Bird watching is a thing. Egg watching isn't. Right? If I was an egg watcher, you could make fun of me. But don't knock it till you've tried it on the bird watching, okay? Because those things are amazing. And they fly on their own. Raise your hand if you can do that. No. So here, that's my point. And this is why this matters so much. And this is the, sort of the context for the passage that we're studying, the, the, the chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, the context for that is at the tail end of chapter 5. And some inquiring minds have probably already skipped up there because you saw that therefore and you wanted to know what the therefore was there for. Well, here's what the therefore is there for. It's chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. We have much to say about this, about Jesus being the high priest and how much better he is. But they pause that argument and say, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. One translation, and New Living Translation says you're spiritually dull and you don't listen very well. (laughs) I'm not saying that. The Word is saying that. In fact, 
Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And suddenly it got a little uncomfortable, didn't it? Maybe some of us should be teaching others by now, and we're not. And maybe this passage is speaking to some of us, which is a good opportunity to break down, once again, the difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is a tool of the Holy Spirit that spurs us towards following Him and following Jesus more closely and living out the God-ordained life, asking, what is my gift to the kingdom? And am I giving my gift to the kingdom? What makes me like an ostrich that can run faster than, a, than most of the land animals, even though it's a bird that can't fly? What is my thing? What is my gift? And am I using it? Am I using it in such a way that other people are noticing it and asking, what is that? What is, that? What is it about that? Well, what is it about that joy that you have in the midst of difficulty? What is it that has you exuding joy or exuding hope or exuding a peace in the midst of storms or any of the other fruit of the Spirit that you could pick? What is it? And they lean in, and now that's your opportunity to teach. That's your opportunity to go on to maturity because by constant use of the Word of God, you've learned to distinguish good from evil and you've become a teacher. Or are we still just looking for a glass of milk? And we haven't gone on to the meat. I like a cold glass of milk as much as anybody, but it does not compare to a nice, thick, juicy steak. Amen? Okay, there's at least one. <laughs> and I wrote in my notes, you know, children are cute, but childishness in adults is not so cute. It might get a smirk or a smile, but after a while, it loses its luster, doesn't it? And it reminded me of a story that I heard like 20 years ago, 15 years ago. I can't remember. I was selling insurance at the time, and I was at an insurance agent's gathering, and somebody asked one of the other guys, How are your kids doing? How's your son? And so he's great. Really, what's he doing? Well, he spent 10 years and $150,000 of my money on a PhD, and he's waiting tables in a French restaurant. And I said, really? He said, yeah, I, I dropped 150 grand for him to wait tables in a French restaurant. And you want to know why? Two reasons. One, he got to the end of that and decided he didn't really want to teach anymore. And two, he could make more money waiting tables at a French restaurant in New York City than he could teaching in a university. And I thought, you know, <laughs> it struck me as odd at the time because I had an English degree and had decided I didn't want to teach English, so I was selling insurance. But that's another story. <laughs> how, many, how many Christians have a PhD. They've been in church for 50 years. They've got decades of Bible studies, and they're not teaching others. And there is nothing wrong with waiting tables. Please don't hear me say that. But he had skills and gifts and abilities that were being wasted. And I think that describes a lot of believers. And here's the good news. You don't need a PhD in biblical studies or theology in order to teach somebody else especially just the elementary principles. And as you start to teach the elementary principles, 
You'll go on to maturity, and so many other things will make sense, and you will learn them, and you will own them better as a teacher of them than you ever would as a listener. I remember I was asked to teach an adult Sunday school class in my church a long time ago, and I was like, who's going to come to me teaching a class? I don't know all this stuff. that You don't have to know everything. We'll give you a good curriculum, and you just teach it, and you, you, you will learn it as you teach it. And I'll tell you what, it's true. It's true. You learn so much by teaching. <laughs> we need to look no farther than the Gospels as we're reading through Luke. If you're in the Banding Together journals, we're reading through Luke. He sends those guys out to proclaim the good news, to heal people, to cast out demons, to do all those things in Luke chapter 9. Very early on. They didn't have it all down. But he sent them out. He commissioned them very early in the process. And I think he would like to do the same with us. And so that somewhat brings us back to repentance and faith, to our main subject today from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. I want to spend a little bit of time on each of those. What are we talking about when we talk about repentance? And what are we talking about when we talk about faith in God? These are foundational understandings for the Christian life. And so when we talk about repentance, we're talking about turning from our way, which is the dead works that are referenced in verse 1, and turning to life. So we turn from going our direction where I'm calling the shots in my life and I'm doing what I want. We turn away from that and we move towards the cross. We move towards Jesus. We move towards his way of doing things. We turn from. That's what the Greek word metanoia means. It means a changing of the mind, a changing of the direction. We turn from one to another. We turn from our old dead way of life that will lead us to eternal death and we turn to life in Christ. Paul called it the righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He said that's what the kingdom of God is. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. How many of you would like a year full of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit? Raise your hands. Only Okay, there's a few. There's a few. That's what repentance does. It turns us away from We don't want to turn from one wrong way to another wrong way. We don't want to turn from my way to the world's way or to some other broken philosophy. We have to turn from our way, from the world's way, to Christ's way, to his way of living. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have to leave the old ways and turn to the new ways. Because guess what? They're better. They're so much better. They might be uncomfortable at first, but they are so much better in the long run. In January 1, that message that I preached a couple weeks ago, I, I was talking about Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. And I skipped a really important point, but it just happens to fit beautifully in this message on repentance, on the idea of repentance. And so Acts 4, verses 10 through 12 says, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man, who was miraculously healed, stands before you healed. He is the stone, Jesus, is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone or the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. This is talking about the exclusivity of Christ. And some people have rejected Christianity because of the exclusivity of it. They say it's so exclusive. Well, no, it really isn't because anybody can come to Christ. There's no group that is excluded. There's no group that is left out. Anyone can come to God through Christ. So it is not exclusive. But faith in Christ, repentance from our ways and placing our faith in Christ. It's found in no other name. He makes this crystal clear. Salvation is found in no other name. It is not found in Buddha. It is not found in Muhammad. It is not found in Allah. And you know what else? It's not found in Mark Sundstrom. I can't look in the mirror and say that I'm going to earn my salvation. I'm going to do it. And neither can you. Salvation is found in no other name but Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, and there is no other name by which we must be saved. We have to be saved. We can't do it ourselves. We have to be rescued. We can't earn our way back. We need a Savior. We need a Savior who also happens to be a Lord. We need a Lord. Because if we don't have a new Lord, then it's just me trying to figure out how to do everything Jesus told me to do. But if I have a new Lord and I just do everything that he tells us to do, then I have a new Lord. I have a new way of life. I have a new direction. I have repented. Moving right along. That's repentance. Now, faith in God is the other element, the other elementary principle that we're talking about here. And when we talk about faith, I told you earlier, faith, trust, belief, they're synonymous in the original language. The Greek word is pistis or pistuio is the, is the verb form of that. And it's saying that we actually believe God, not just believe in God, but we believe God. We take him at his word. And if he says it's better, then we do it because he said it's better. And we don't have to wonder. We trust him. We believe him. We believe his way is better. We say it's a new kingdom. It's a new order of authority. That's what that word kingdom means in the Greek word. It's not just a political thing. It's a new way of life. We've left an old way of life, and we are now living a new way of life. We are in a new kingdom, and a new kingdom has a new king, a new sovereign, a new lord. And if we're doing what the new king, the new sovereign, the new Lord has said, now we have a new way of life. We've left the old way of life. We've taken the new way of life. And that is what is pictured with repentance and faith in God. Now, just a little over a week ago, I was doing my banding together journal, and a verse leapt off the page at me. It was Luke 6, verse 46. Luke 6, 46 says, Jesus is asking this question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? It's a penetrating question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? And as I reflected on that, I realized that we're really, we're not fooling Jesus. He knows. We're not fooling him with the lip service. Oh, Lord, Lord. That our actions really matter. And we're not fooling the world either. That should have become increasingly clear with social media and with news media and all these other things. They're just waiting for a Christian, a higher the profile, the better, to mess up so they can say, see, it's not real. So we're not fooling them. We're not fooling Jesus. The only people we're fooling is ourselves and other self-deceived people to call Jesus Lord, Lord, and not do what he says. You see, because the, the root meaning of Lord has to do with authority. And I was reminded of a message that was very influential in my own life. 
And I was a, a young, young Christian sitting in a church in Casper, Wyoming, way before I was called, way before I was even serious about my faith. And John Spear stood on a stage and he said, Jesus is either Lord of all or he isn't Lord at all. And you could have knocked me over with a feather because I've been singing the songs. I've been showing up two or three times a month. I've been given $20 in the plate when I had it which was a lot for me at that time. But he wasn't Lord of all. He wasn't Lord of my calendar. He wasn't Lord of my checkbook. He wasn't Lord of much. He was Lord of two or three Sunday mornings a month for an hour. And he wasn't Lord at all. Because that's how lordship works. You either bring everything under his authority or you haven't. That word can also be translated as master, and its definition in the original language is a person exercising absolute ownership rights. Does Jesus have absolute ownership rights in your life or not? Another way of posing this question is who is on the throne of your life? We're talking about a king, we're talking about a kingdom. Who's on the throne of your life? There's only one throne. And if you are a Christian, if you self-identify as a Christian, then that means that you are saying, I have sworn allegiance to a king. We're not saying we've hired a personal assistant to make a few things work better. We're saying, I have sworn allegiance to a king. There is a king on the throne of my life, and it is not me. It is Jesus Christ. And that's what we're talking about here. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. And that's why trust and obey, repenting from our old way, repenting from when I was on the throne of my life, to putting Jesus on the throne of my life and doing life his way, that's why trust, belief, faith in God and obedience are so important. We learn to do it his way, not our way. We say he is the cornerstone. We talked about that a little bit a couple of weeks ago how important cornerstones are. And I know the NIV says capstone, ESV, NASB, New King James, King James. They all say cornerstone. The word could be translated either way. Both cornerstones and capstones are incredibly important in building. If you're building a building from the ground up, the cornerstone is that stone on the corner that makes everything plumb and level. If you have a good cornerstone, you'll have a good building. If you have a lousy cornerstone... You're going to have a lousy building. When I was going this way and I was the cornerstone of my life, things were pretty shaky. It wasn't perfectly level. It wasn't perfectly plumb. But when I turned and made Jesus Christ the cornerstone of my life, he's perfectly plumb. He's perfectly level. He will never lead me astray. And everything that has been built on that foundation is standing There's a lot of things that were built on this lousy cornerstone called Mark that are not standing anymore, and they shouldn't be. They weren't worthy of standing. But everything that I have built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ is still standing, and I believe it will be standing for eternity. And I want it to be. And so that's what we're talking about. The cornerstones are perfectly plumb and they're perfectly level. This is our vertical relationship with God. I mentioned last week that the cross becomes that vertical that orients our life in perfect plumb with God, the one true God of the universe, and perfectly level our relationships with others. When we follow Jesus and we do it his way, that impacts our relationships with others. That impacts the things that we'll do, the things that we'll say. 
and so forth. So what's the bottom line? What's the bottom line on repentance and faith? Well, I said it earlier. Jesus is either Lord of all or he isn't Lord at all. That's the bottom line when we're talking about repentance and faith. He's either on the throne or he isn't. And it strikes me that in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as Lord over 300 times. Do you know how many times he's referred to as Savior? About 16. And I have to look at myself as a preacher, and I talk about Jesus as Savior way more than I talk about Jesus as Lord. But we need a Lord every bit as much as we need a Savior. We need them both. They go hand in hand because they are one and the same. We need a Savior to rescue us, and we need a Lord to reorient our lives. That they would bear fruit, much fruit, fruit that would remain. There's really only one throne. There's only one king, and he does not take turns. He's either Lord of all or he isn't Lord at all. And here's what's interesting. He's not going to force it on you. He's not going to use the authority that he has to force you to choose him. The last things he said in the Gospel of Matthew is, All authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. Yet he will not force you to follow him. He's polite. He's patient. He's kind. He's patient, desiring that none would perish. He's kind, and his kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. And so as our worship team makes it back up here, as we kind of bring this message full circle and bring it to a close, and we're talking about putting the kingdom of God first. And I referenced Matthew 6 earlier, but in Luke chapter 12, just a couple days ago, Luke's version of that passage says, but seek his kingdom, God's kingdom, and these other things will be added to you as well. Very similar to what Matthew records. But Luke, in the very next verse, says something that just brought tears to my eyes when I read it a couple of days ago. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He wants you to have it. He wants to give it to you. He's not saying, seek it, but I'm going to move it. I don't really want to give it to you. I don't really want you to have it. Jesus is telling us, my Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. He wants you to have it. He's not stingy with it. He's not playing a game of hide and seek with it. And it's better. It's so much better. His kingdom, his ways are so much better. Yes, they are uncomfortable at first. Anytime you stop doing the wrong thing and start doing the right thing, you're going to wish you were doing the wrong thing. You wouldn't have been doing it if, you, if it wasn't fun or if it wasn't, didn't provide some shortcut that you thought you needed. But when you start and you gain some strength and you get stronger in God's ways, it's better. His ways are better. His kingdom is better. So our application this week is I want you to seek it. If you're not seeking it, if, you're not, if he's not Lord of all, I want you to seek it. Seek his kingdom. Seek him. I can't find no better way to seek him than daily time in the word and in prayer. This is a tremendous tool. The Banding Together Journals. You can pick one of these up before you leave today. It's got a reading plan. It gets you in the word of God, a chapter a day. Or more, sometimes a little bit more. You meet with a group of people once a week and you talk about what God is saying to you through your word and you ask questions and people bring their study Bibles and you answer those questions. 
we launched this a little over three years ago. At the end of the first year, we had 10 or 12 groups and about 50, 60 people doing it. And I was like, yes, we're on the way. Three years later, I think we've got about 15, 16 groups and about 60 or 70 people doing it from what I can tell. I had hoped we would be doubling every 18 months, not growing 20% every three years. I wish that discipleship, daily time in the Word and prayer and meeting with a group of people for fellowship and learning together was very appealing and everybody wanted to do it immediately, but it just isn't. And yet that's, that's the way the kingdom works is we spend time in God's Word. We spend time with other people who are spending time in God's Word. We pray for the lost. We hold each other accountable and things start to change. The people that are doing it love it. They speak highly of it. I'm not saying it's the only way. There are other ways. There are other people who are in other groups. I'm not saying that this is the only way. It is a way. It is a powerful way. It's an inexpensive way. You can do this for five bucks and 15 minutes a day, and it will start to bear fruit in your life. You really can. Focus on habits. As you seek first the kingdom of God, focus on habits. Maybe you're doing this, and maybe you're like, what else can I do? Check the box on on your connection card. And write on the line, here's what I need more information on. Here's what I need. Are you serving? Serving is a great way to learn and grow. Do you need our Financial Peace University? We're launching this Financial Peace University in about a week and a half. Is Jesus Lord of your finances? He could be. He should be. Spend time in God's Word. Lean in. Do what it says. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your Word. Thank you that you love us so much. That your kingdom is expanding. That it will, its expansion will know no end. Your kingdom is not plateauing. The prophecies way back in the Old Testament said of the increase of your righteousness and peace, there will be no end. May that be true not only globally and universally, but in our own lives. May there be no end to the increase of your righteousness and peace in our lives, that we would seek you, we would seek your will, we would seek your word. We would want our lives to make much of you, to bear fruit, much fruit, fruit that will remain. Have your way in us, O God. Help us to respond in faith to what we have heard. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.